0: It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Hey
1: everybody. Thank you once again for tuning in. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. I'm Casey Hendrickson. We've got Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory from Corhorn Financial Group joining us here. Guys, how are you doing today, man? We're Great. doing good. good. Good to see you. Good. Glad to hear it. All right, so it's another week. Uh, this is the third episode. We've got a great show lined up for everybody today. Uh, we've got a bunch of listeners' questions, because you guys have been flooded with questions over the past couple of weeks. We are going to... I know we say this every week, that we're going to do questions. <laughs> we're doing like three quarters of the show, maybe yeah. half of the show, all questions from uh, from listeners today. But we do want to hit a couple of things, because uh, we we have some recent news in the investment world, and this is basically... This, this is like right at my audience, my normal weekday audiences uh, sort of uh, take on the world is the Fed. Like they all want to mm-hmm. audit the Fed, burn the Fed down, that sort of thing. <laughs> and what's the Fed going to do? So the Fed has made a decision not to raise interest rates. Now, this all just happened last week. So what's the implications of that? yeah well
2: first of all this this has just been all over the airwaves i mean mainstream media has picked this up it's hit uh, it's hit of course all the headlines for all the financial media as well and and here's also a litmus test of of how far reaching this is my wife has no financial interest or aptitude at all she is blessed with many things uh, caring about finances is not much so yesterday she's asking me hey what are you guys talking about on the show this week and i said well There's this section of the government called the Fed, and they made this big decision last week, and she said, oh yeah, they kept things the same. And I said, don't interrupt me. I'm just kidding. But I I was shocked that she, of course, knew about this as well. So that's why we're talking about it today on the third show. Relevant just happened a week and a half ago, and we want to talk about the implications.
1: Don't send him a bunch of hate mail about the Fed not being a part of the government, folks. He's just speaking in generality so everybody understands what's going on, okay? Mike understands what the Fed is, but... Because uh, I know now my audience is going to be like, it's not a part of the government! You know, <laughs> it's going to happen. Yep. You're going to get more hate mail than you already have. We'll address that a little bit later on, too, Mike. You're already getting in trouble two <laughs> All weeks right. in. Good deal. All <laughs> right, so before we go uh, even more deep into this subject and talk about the implications for investors, how would you explain who the Fed really is for those that really don't live and breathe this every single day? I know it comes up a lot. Like you said, uh, it's a part of the government. It, it isn't, but it is. It's so... Kind of explain it just in layman's terms for people.
3: Yeah, I mean, we could spend an entire hour talking about who the Fed is and burn it you know. down. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I don't even think our moms reflex. would listen to a whole show of that one though. Probably so, uh, no, keeping it short. It, it's it's not a government agency. the The Fed or the Federal Reserve Board um, is basically the the watchdog of the federal banking system. So any federal banks out there, not uh, state-sponsored or or state-chartered, fall under their guidance. They're the ones that set the rules and everything for the economy. But that's not really the part of the Fed that everybody's talking about when we start talking interest rates. They're talking about a very specific segment of the Federal Reserve Board called the uh, Federal um, Open Market Committee. Mm -hmm. Also known as the Illuminati. Yeah. Or the Bilderbergs. <laughs> That's right. The, uh, the The whole point of this board, it, it's uh, a bunch of uh, Fed regional uh, presidents that cycle on and off of this board, and their whole job is to control the money supply in this country, which is where, of course, all the conspiracy theorists would uh, you know, be at, at arms on something like this. But they're trying to impact interest rates. Yeah. The question, though, is is why, you know, what are they trying, what are they trying to accomplish? So here's, here's pop quiz, little, uh, useless trivia for you. I'm gonna put Mike on the spot oh, here. No. Do you know the two mandates that Congress gave to the, to the federal reserve? What's their main job? What's their whole purpose for controlling these interest rates and everything? I would
2: I would guess. No, I, I only have useful trivia in my <laughs> in my brain, so nothing useless in here. Sorry. So you suck
1: at trivia. Yeah, <laughs> what you're okay. But I would
2: assume uh, stabilize the economy or maybe jobs and promote economic uh, productivity.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm saying that's close enough. The, uh, the 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 purpose, their their mandates are twofold to f- uh, keep unemployment rate down. So keep full employment going, which most people would say, if we're at five percent unemployment, then we're fully staffed up as a nation, because there's always going to be some people sure. who, you know, just don't want a job, can't get a job, whatever. Um, but then also to grow the economy steadily, without letting inflation heat up. Mm. And you hear that, you know, those two jobs given to the Fed, you would almost think though that that's the president's job. Every time we come into a political season, right. you know, the current president's taking credit for how awesome things are, and the, uh, the, the hopeful president
1: is saying how terrible things are, and the president's to blame. You're preaching to the choir here. That's like a lifelong struggle of me, and political talk is explaining to people... Yeah. The president really doesn't have a ton of influence on this. A little bit, right. but not a ton. Yeah, absolutely. So it's this,
3: it's this Federal Open Market Committee, this segment of the Fed that we're always talking about. They meet every eight weeks, or about eight times a year, rather, every six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, And they're just talking about this. They've got their fingers on the pulse of the economy trying to determine are we pointed in the right direction with the economy or does it need some sort of a pick-me-up? Do they need to have their foot on the gas or should they they be uh, tapping the brakes right now?
1: So why does the Fed get so much attention in the media when a decision like this comes out? Yeah. And and why do you think that the average listener out there should actually focus on the Fed more? Mhm. It's it, a real short answer just what Josh said. Their
2: words have the ability to uh spark economic growth or slow down the overall economy. Their their words carry that much weight. Their words, though, indicate where they think the economy is and some of the action that they're going to do to either rev up the economy or slow it down. And so that's why a lot of people tune in is, is they're trying to figure out, well, uh, where is the economy now and what's the Fed going to do to push it in one direction or another?
1: So when you have a decision with the Fed that comes out, obviously whenever they decide to raise or lower or stay put with the interest rates, like you said, big news, it's everywhere. Even your wife, who's not really engaged in this, knows what's going on. Why is it, I shouldn't say why is it, but what does that tell us about the economy and who are some of the winners and the losers when the Fed makes a decision like this? And, and of course, the the latest one is that they're not going to raise interest rates. Well, on that point
3: right there, I think... Is, is an important one to to notice that the fact that they didn't change interest rates tells us at some level that the economy is not as strong as maybe some would make it out to be, believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the indication here, I guess, is that the economy still needs some help. Back in the Great Recession, when everything was falling apart, everyone was talking about, hey, we're into another depression. I was telling clients, you know, The the Fed is doing some very innovative and experimental things that it's meant to prop up the economy, try to reverse the trend. I I refer to it as putting the economy on life support. Well, we might not be on life support right now, but the way they're acting by keeping interest rates this low for this long, you would would almost think that they are assuming that we're still in critical care here. Mm -hmm. And... That's not normal for uh, a recovery that's been going on for this long. Normally, by this time, you would be expecting the Fed to be tapping the brakes because things would be heating up too much and they would be worried about inflation starting to, uh, to, to take off too much. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're not worried about that or uh, they're more concerned about maybe something else on the horizon, they have downgraded some of their outlook on uh, future growth in the economy. So that's a concern. But theoretically, I mean, these are uh, men and women who have a better view into what's going on in in the economy than the average Joe on the street. And for them to not be pulling back on
1: the reins at this point, um, you know, it's a concern to me, quite frankly. And a lot of people for a long time have been very concerned about that when that interest correction happens. I mean, eventually it can't just be the way that it's been with right. the Fed, you know, the way that's it been going for the past couple of years, eventually there's going to be a correction. So people are fearful of another market crash, wh- whether it's the interest rates of the feds, whether it's the market being up, the market being down, some businesses being up, some businesses being down with recent news. Um, so when you when you have that and you're looking at you know the debt load, you're looking at politics and tension with China, China's markets, and that sort of thing, what do you think guys, uh, people should be doing in light of the Fed keeping rates the same?
2: Yeah. In in the market, I think this is a sign that there's just going to still be a lot of uncertainty ahead in the stock market. The Fed had the opportunity to give a signal that they believe the economy is on stronger footing, but yet instead they kept rates unchanged, which gives a sign, as Josh said, that things might still not be that great. And I think we're going to see a pretty volatile stock market for the foreseeable future. So what should you do? For many people, not much. Stay diversified, Uh, you know... the indications right now is that the stock market is not is not cheap, so this isn't a time to start pouring a bunch of money into the market that maybe shouldn't be there. Uh, so just stay staying diversified and preparing yourself for some volatile days ahead.
3: Well, it, I, and I think that's probably the most important message to be preaching today, and that is diversification. But This fear of interest rates rising have kept a lot of people from owning much of bonds, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people don't realize uh, that when interest rates rise, bond values or bond prices go down. And then the opposite is true as well. When interest rates are falling, bond prices are up. And so this fear that there's maybe a bond uh, market bubble that's forming, Mm -hmm. um, you know, could have people getting less diversified at a time when maybe they really should be more diversified. Betting the farm that interest rates are going to be rising in the short term um, has made fools of a lot of people over the past few years because who, who would have thought that here we are approaching the end of 2015 and interest rates would still be near zero, right? I mean, everyone would have said, well, they can only go up from here. Well, no, actually, they can stay low longer than what any of us believe, as the Fed just proved to us once again. Right. Yeah. So, you know, more and more people are, are looking now out to the very end of the year. You know, the next meeting that the um, the Fed is going to be having is the end of October. Then again, in December, a lot of folks are saying, oh, you know, don't expect a, an increase until January now. Yeah. Um, but that's all speculation. And your portfolio should be structured to where it doesn't matter whether they are increasing or decreasing your position for the long term, not just um what, what's based on short-term speculation i'm
1: not a uh, financial mind but i'm just going to go out there and throw out my little theory uh interest rates are not going to go up until the next president of the united states is in office wow that's just my theory you heard it here first folks. I, but i'm i'm <laughs> i'm coming at it from a purely political perspective <laughs> has nothing to do with the economy or markets at all i just think there's a lot of politics at play here uh that maybe you know because you guys are the unbiased ones. You're looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the, I don't know, there's a political element here, I think. There sure is. Yeah. I got a couple more questions I want to ask, guys, and then we'll get into listeners' questions here in the next segment, but we got to take a quick time out. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Core and Financial Group. We've got Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory, I'm Casey Hendrickson, and you're listening to Talk 95.3, Michiana's News
0: Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're
1: listening to Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Josh Gregory, Mike Bernard, I'm Casey Hendrickson. And again, I want to remind everybody, if you have a financial planning question, anything at all related to financial planning, please go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can also find past episodes of Wise Money on the website. You can submit your question, and we will address those questions on the air at a future date, plus blog posts and whatever else we decide to come up with. I think there's been some chit-chat about video channels and things like that on YouTube, but uh, that's uh, for the future. But we were kind of talking about the Fed, its decision to not raise interest rates, and we went into bonds and uh, investing and that sort of thing. So I have one last question, then we'll go into listeners' questions, guys. I know what the Fed decides and what they communicate is, is obviously very important, but is this a show about, with this being a show about financial planning, in light of what the Fed has decided, what should people be doing with their financial life right now? Yeah, it, this has
2: a, a lot of implications. The fact that the government or the Fed is still keeping rates low, if you still have a mortgage with a rate Five percent or above, your opportunity to refinance to a lower rate could be going away. So make sure that uh, that your your mortgage, your home mortgage, is locked in at a fixed rate that's pretty low because the Fed has kept interest rates low. But if they go up here in the near future, that that may make it harder to to have a lower mortgage interest rate. But it also I've been telling other folks this, if you're considering selling your house here in the near future, you might want to start getting that ready to go. Because if interest rates do rise, well, before Casey mentioned, maybe in January or, or early next year, that could put some pressure on the housing market and houses might not sell as quickly. If Casey's right and we don't see a rate increase until next election, then uh, maybe you've just gotten your house ready to sell prematurely. But those are a couple things that you should consider in light of what the, the Fed's done.
3: Well, I I love that idea, by the way, as a financial planning um, strategy, the thought of getting your very last mortgage ever, you know, refinancing now to one that you could keep indefinitely because there's never going to be a lower interest rate than whatever mortgage you go get right now. So looking at the way that you have your debt structured, I think, is absolutely a great idea. Um, You know, something else to consider, a lot of people are getting kind of bent out of shape and have been for many years on how Um, how little they are earning, basically nothing on their Mm -hmm. bank accounts. And so it it could lure you into the idea of just not holding as much cash in the bank for emergencies, for example. Um, You know, just kind of rolling the dice and thinking, well, I can put that money to better use elsewhere. But, you know, I, I guess I would encourage you to not fall into that trap and to go too light on an emergency fund just because of how little it's earning. Yeah, you might think of those as lazy assets, but the, the purpose of that money is not there to make you wealthy. It's there to keep you from being poor. Mm-hmm. It's to be accessible, to to be liquid and, and at your fingertips. So, uh, you know, even with low interest rates prevailing for this time, don't be tempted to go too light. And
2: I'll also... Take that and don't be baited to avoid all bond investments. Josh already hit on this a little bit in the first segment, and that is the fear of rising interest rates could make people frustrated with their bond investments and even somewhat uh, fortune tellers that if Mm -hmm. I continue to hold these and rates go up, I'm really going to be punished. Holding bonds as a part of your portfolio is more so about diversification and keeping volatility at bay A bad year in the bond market could be a bad day in the stock market. So saying, well, interest rates might go up. They're still really low right now. I'm going to shift my bonds over to stocks could put you taking much more risk and you could see much worse things than had you just stayed with a portion of your dollars in bonds.
3: I think that logic also applies to real estate and utilities as well. Those are often interest rate sensitive investments and people could be avoiding them just out of fear as well. So keep that in mind.
1: All right. Good advice. All right, so we got to go to questions. Yep. What is this? This is episode three, right? Yep. You're already in trouble, Mike. (laughs) That's okay. You're already in trouble, dude. I'm used to it. Just like that. You know, it's funny. When you said it uh, on last week's show, I was like, man, he's going to get it. He's going to get it. I know somebody (laughs) out there is going to nail him. Sherry, I heard something on last week's show that puzzled me. You suggested that a retired person take out a home equity line to keep that income lower so that their Medicaid did not go up. I understand that, but if you are an ELP endorse local provider for Dave Ramsey who's a friend of mine so i'm going to i'm going to give him some feedback on this <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that go against everything he teaches? Oh, Sherry, buttonheads
3: with the Dave Ooh, Ramsey. Yeah. Like I love that. it.
1: No,
2: Sherry, I am so glad you asked this question, and and actually, your question is the very first question. So I want to thank you, thank you for that. But just as Casey already mentioned, other people, I'm sure, thought this as well. As I said it, uh, I'm sure folks were were more scratching their heads than they were really following along because that's somewhat unique pretty controversial and may contradict other sound financial principles like what Dave Ramsey would communicate. So Dave Ramsey, though, has helped thousands of people improve their financial lives and get better financial habits. And those financial principles, though, uh, line up very closely to what we recommend at Corcoran Financial Group. That's why we're proud to be an endorsed local provider and ELP of Dave's. However, one of the differences is Dave speaks to the masses and his, his advice and suggestions are very general and very broad. We apply them with folks as well. However, when we're sitting with folks one-to-one, face-to-face, and walking through their financial life with them, sometimes instances come up in life where there's curveballs or adjustments or unique circumstances that may present, well, maybe you should consider doing something different. And and Dave doesn't really do that. He doesn't walk through as many unique kind of adjustments to the plan because he's just dealing with people for two minutes a day on their show, not in this example that I gave last week, not for 12 years, uh, how long I've been serving those folks. So uh, this is a very unique situation that I mentioned. certainly doesn't apply to everyone. probably doesn't apply to most people. But I'm a nerd, so I'm going to go to the math. And I saw this question, and so I actually calculated the math a little bit. Uh, (laughs) So for these folks to take out enough money from their retirement account to cover the project and cover the taxes... It would have pushed them into the next tax bracket as well. It would have cost them just over $21,000 in taxes. As I mentioned last week, it would have also pushed them into the next bracket, actually two brackets higher for their Medicare costs. So they would have been paying an extra $105 per month each. So already $21,000 for taxes, plus another combined about $2,500 for increased Medicare costs, where instead, so almost $25,000 for this for for making this decision. Instead, one of the unique things about their situation is they've got enough money in their retirement accounts to cover this project. So the plan is take out the home equity line and make your minimum payment on that, which with interest will probably cost a thousand bucks or so, and then let's take out smaller trunks from your IRA over the next three to four years and pay this loan off, because I certainly am not advocating going into debt for this. However, taking a smaller amount out of your IRA will not put you into the next tax bracket and will not force you to pay more money for Medicare for the exact same coverage. So basically a short-term loan. Yeah.
1: That you, not go that you already that. have the funds to pay off, but you're going to pay it off. Uh, yes. Without hitting a penalty. Yeah. You okay. got it. That was just way too nice, by the way.
2: <laughs> it was a good question. Well,
1: it question. was,
3: but... Man, I, I actually thought that I was listening into last week's show. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, out on vacation when it was recorded, but uh, I thought that was one of the best points that you made, Mike. Uh, no offense to all the other stuff you had to say, but <laughs> seriously, I mean that you were highlighting a potential tax trap and also a Medicare uh, premium trap there that a lot of people wouldn't recognize and. If if all you did was just work off of a rule of thumb mm-hmm. that says, Oh, I have to avoid debt at all costs, then you may be doing it at the expense of too much tax or too much Medicare. So um I, I think you're being too nice.
1: Avoiding debt sometimes can be a financial burden. Mm-hmm. But it's gotta if you do choose the debt path, it has gotta be managed properly. Absolutely. With the advice of a professional. You gotta at Corn Financial for, Group. For the record. Though, com. In in Sherry's defense though.
3: Uh, you know the thought of just pulling a little bit of money out over three or four years ahead of time, and then spending the dollars and and you know doing the project wasn't it a deck project or something like that where and there were yeah, structural I think it was a deck. problems and foundation that, yeah it was... you, you couldn't wait four years to save up by taking distribution so yeah, the point. money had to be spent and and that's why um, you know the rules of thumb are important and they're helpful but. um, you know, we also have to look at it on an individual
1: basis. So. Isn't radio fun? You make it friends is. so quickly. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> We've got a lot of questions to get to from listeners of Wise Money Guys, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll come back. Tons of questions over the next couple of segments. Again, you're listening to Wise Money Radio with Core and Financial Group. Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory. Kevin's in Miami. He is. Uh, air quote, vacationing. <laughs> Slash working? I working. Heard continuing education. Con- yeah, continuing education, <laughs> but you know, we, are, we, all, right? we all know exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's, learning, he's learning new lures is what he's doing. So again, uh, he'll be back hopefully uh, next week. We've got more coming up on Wise Money right here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel.
0: This is Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel.
1: Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group. Again, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory with Corehorn Financial Group. Corehorn.com is the website if you are looking for financial planning. If you are a fan of the show and you want to submit a financial planning question, wisemoneyradio.com is how you can do that. We are going to answer those questions here on the air. And uh, we left off with Sherry, who was kind of taking Mike to task. She thought that he was uh, not giving the best <laughs> advice. Uh, and, of course, he, uh, he was able to respond to that. And we feel pretty pretty adequately. Uh, Sam from Granger, <laughs> who's 37 years old. I'm just being non-biased here, guys. Uh-huh. Uh, Sam from Granger is 37 years old. My family and I just moved to the area in the spring for a new job that I got. And we're renting right now But uh, until we can find the right house for us. But I have been able to save a large amount for a down payment. How do I know how much house I can afford?
3: I, I love people, that
1: I idea. I wish more people would ask this question, by oh, the way, yeah, because yeah. we kind of got in a financial pickle a couple of years back because people bought too much house. And yeah, yes, absolutely. absolutely. House poor is no fun.
3: Well, and when you're moving to a new community, you don't really know the lay of the land yet. You don't know your routines and things like that. So the thought of renting for a while until you establish yeah. all those new patterns in life and everything, I think that's smart. It, it could buy you some more time, even though financially it sounds like he's ready to go buy a house. Um, the thought of just taking your time and being selective, making sure you know which school systems and which clubs your kids are going to be a part of, that kind of thing. Um, I I think that's smart. But as far as how much to spend on a house, I I think there's two drivers there. One is your down payment. So we don't have dollar amounts here that I heard. Um, He he just said a large amount of a down payment. I I would encourage him to be putting at least 20% down. So whatever size down payment you have, let that be 20% of the purchase price but also just doing the nuts and bolts budgeting work to figure out what size payment will fit for you. Don't count on the rules of thumb or the various ratios that a banker is going to quote to you to say, oh yeah, you can afford X amount of your take-home pay. No, make sure it fits for you and your family um, based on the rest of your your financial picture. But I, I also like the idea right now with interest rates as low as they are, not every financial advisor out there would say this, but i, I like fifteen year mortgages. Um, and and maybe Mike will arm wrestle me over this one. no here, i was
2: I was giving you a look because everything I was gonna add you were taken. So oh, great. yeah, I, I like the fifteen over thirty, and i I was going to. Uh, caution listeners from going to a quick calculator because you really should do your own budget. Just saying that your your mortgage payment shouldn't be more than 20% of your take-home. Well, if you've got a couple big car loans and you've got some other goals that are being unfunded, uh, yes. m- m- maybe that's not wise advice. Right. So you've got to do the hard work of actually building a budget and seeing how much you can afford.
3: Yeah, at 37, you know, even if he did take a 30 year mortgage, theoretically he could have that done by the time he reaches retirement. Yep. Um, so, so taking a good hard look at your retirement readiness and making sure that you're on pace for that goal, maybe you find out that you need to be saving so aggressively for that retirement to play catch up that really all you can afford is the 30 year mortgage. So I like the idea of making sure you have the right amount of assets that are growing for you before you get too worried about
1: paying down that mortgage too fast. No, I mean, right now, rent is way higher than mortgages are anyway, right? A lot of cases, yeah. So if, if they're renting right now, let me just throw this out there just as an observer. If they're renting right now and they're looking at a place roughly the size of what they're renting theoretically, they should probably be able to get an equivalent size house, depending on some parameters, obviously, that would probably cost a little bit less. Yeah. But if they're comfortable paying, let's say they're paying $200 more per month than it would cost any mortgage, maybe they could step up a little bit and get a bigger home uh, mm-hmm. and have a little bit more room.
3: And mm-hmm. that's one of the benefits of low interest rates right now. It's making houses way more affordable than
1: ever. Yeah. So. Or, or you can just save that extra $200 and add that to retirement. There you go. All right. Uh, Kate from South Bend, 40 years old. My husband is comfortable with less in our emergency fund, and I feel like we need more for peace of mind. We currently have $5,000. How much should we have? Oh, that's a perfect ELP question. (laughs) You know what? But I I was
2: actually going to say, Kate, that's that's a perfect question. And one of the things I like about it is so often we're sitting down with people and we see some signs financially that they're not quite where they should be or could be, and we get to the root of the issue, and it's because the husband and wife are not talking about money, not talking about their goals. The fact that Kate said... I'd like more in the emergency fund. My husband would like less. Uh, just proves that they're talking about it. So, yeah, it is. It is a good ELP question, though. If I if I go to the answer, the rule of thumb, and we already talked about those, those are dangerous sometimes. But the rule of thumb is three to six months of your actual lifestyle. Uh, we then we 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 then kind of apply that to someone's situation. Okay, do you have? Uh, do you have new cars or old cars? Do you have a newer house or an older house? Do you have young kids or older kids that are out of the house? Do you have high deductibles or lower deductibles? And so there's a lot of adjustment that you need, or a lot of discussion, I guess, that you need to consider here before you you peg that number. Uh, We currently have 5,000. To me, that just sounds low for the average person. Too low.
3: But figuring out what the right amount, I I like how you frame that in terms of time, though, because the the granddaddy emergency of them all is an interruption to your income. One of the spouses loses a job, they become disabled, they're sick, they can't work, whatever. Um, How long could the family operate without taking drastic action if income dried up tomorrow? $5,000, you could burn through that pretty quick. Likewise, you know, the emergency funds there for the really big unanticipated expenses. So if you're a homeowner, you may have bigger risks exposed to you than than other people. You know, could you go get your septic field replaced if it went bad as half of Granger is right now? I would (laughs) think. Sorry, Kevin's not here. I'm yeah, like Kevin joking. <laughs> now, so t- to me, you've got to have a, a big enough emergency fund where you feel comfortable for the major expenses that happen. But even more important than that, uh, you've got the shock to your income that could occur. And $5,000 just doesn't let the family live very long. Again, I'd like to see that closer to 10-15 for most families. And you yep. guys
1: pointed out that you know 3 to 6 months is what you generally want in your emergency fund and 5000 is like a month month and a half for totally. the average family. Yep. Um, and of course that all depends on what your income level is and your lifestyle is that could you know change a little bit but uh, if if you don't have that 3 to 6 months you don't really have that buffer room. Uh, you, you basically you got to go out and find work now. Yep. That also covers your your uh, your bills. All right. So we got plenty more questions to get to today, but uh, first three really good ones today, actually. So we're having a pretty good audience engagement today, guys. But we got more coming up again with uh, questions. And if you guys have a question out there that you want to submit anything financial planning related, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit the question there. You can also listen to previous episodes. We have them up there. Just scroll to the bottom and go to you know, uh, uh, older episodes, you can see those there and then listen to those old shows. Uh, but again, if you are looking for financial advice, uh, corehorn.com with a K, corehorn.com, and they would be happy to go ahead and uh, provide you uh, with, uh, well, with your financial plan. That's that's basically what we're talking about here. We got more coming up. You're listening to Wise Money with corn Financial Group here on Newstalk 953, Michiana's News Channel.
0: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel.
1: Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. we got Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory. I'm Casey Hendrickson. Once again, the website, if you're looking for a financial planner, corhorn.com. That is with a K, corhorn.com. If you are a listener and you have a financial planning question, you would like the guys to answer that on the air. Go to wisemoneyradio.com. We also have previous episodes uploaded up there so you can listen to them uh, via podcast. So we've got uh, we've got Shane from South Bend. My company is switching health insurance plans next year to a high-deductible health plan. I'm not too happy about this. Is there anything that I can do, and how do these plans work? Yeah, I, I'm not sure,
2: Shane. Uh, first, thanks for the question, but... Second, not sure there's much you can do. Uh, Depends on how big your employer is and and all of that and how much of the premium they're paying for you because it still might just be the cheapest, most affordable option out there. Might make sense to talk to a, a health insurance professional like Ted who we had on last week just to explore your options, but likely the company is doing this because of cost and likely this is going to be the most cost effective for you. Okay, how do they work? This is actually we'll probably have a full show on HSA. Oh, I'm so there's sure. just so many backdoor tricks to them and just confusion overall about how they about how they work. But because of the rising healthcare costs, they are just becoming more and more popular. So how do they work? You have a health insurance plan that has very basic, basic benefits where most of the first X amount up to your deductible you've got to pay a hundred percent of out-of-pocket okay after you reach that deductible if you do in a, in a given year then you then you are either responsible for none of it or maybe a small portion of it uh, that's how high deductible plans work they've got to be eligible for something called an HSA and you're Uh, Your HR person will tell you that. Most of them are. Um, But that's where the potential benefit could come in. You're not happy about this because it's moving you to a higher deductible. What it could mean is lower monthly premium costs and some tax deduction ability by using a health savings account. So that's just a teaser. Really, Josh, I'm not sure if you want to add anything on, but there'll be more details to come about HSAs on the wise money show.
3: Well, the only thing I would add is just an opinion that you shouldn't be afraid of a high deductible plan. It is a way to keep those premiums down, but I actually think that these are one of the best things that came out of the Bush era. Um, Pushing for health savings accounts. Hey, now Josh is going to get the hate mail. Yeah, I know. Yeah, good, well. Good deal. Get nasty grams. No, seriously, I, I think it encourages people to be more of a consumer of healthcare services. You know, what other service do you go to where you have no clue what it's going to cost and you just kind of follow the direction of the person that's selling you the service? And then you wait months and months and get the bill and then you plug your nose and pay it. Or better yet, maybe you still have one of these Cadillac plans where the insurance company just pays it and you have no idea what it ever cost. That is not a recipe for controlling healthcare costs in this country. So the idea of switching to a higher deductible plan, I, I think, just gets us all more engaged. And someday when we uh, when we cover that story, um, or, or that issue of health savings accounts, I, I think I'd like to share a little anecdote about my own experience. And it just shocks doctors when you actually play an active role and you ask questions. So
1: It really does. Um, and by the way, I mean, this kind of depends too on if it, his company does a match in his HSA. Oh, yeah, sure. Because yeah. if you have a $10,000 deductible, so you've got to spend $10,000 before you even get any insurance coverage, really. Um you know, if, if you have a, a health savings account and you put, you know, 2500 in it and your company will match 2500 I mean, you've got half of it covered. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, there can be some serious benefit to it, but it all depends on the employer and what the plan actually is. Susan in Mishawaka, I turn 66 next year and I'm not ready to retire. My husband, who is already 66... And I own a small business together, and we still love what we do. Do I have to quit working so that I can draw Social Security, or should I wait to draw Social Security? Oh, great question. This For some year with me, with
2: clients, this has been the year of Social Security. There's just been... Uh, enough people coming with questions and where there's some tricks that we can make some suggestions and really optimize their benefit. And it sounds like, Susan, you fall right in there. Uh, Because you're turning 66, your husband's already 66, you guys can employ a very, very unique strategy that doesn't apply to everyone and you've got to have the right circumstances, but you can do something called filing a restricted application. Your husband's already 66 and drawing benefits. So you can file a restricted application as soon as you turn 66 and draw half of his benefits while letting yours continue to grow at the 8% uh, amount every year until 70. And then at 70, you can switch from half of your husband's over to yours at a much higher level. You cannot do that before your full retirement age so this is a trick and if you do it before your full retirement age it's a trap so don't do it until you're 66 but you can file a restricted application your husband would continue to receive his benefits you'll then get half of his also let yours continue to grow until age 70 you switch over to yours and by 70 yours will be a much higher amount it optimizes the, the situation.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that you can do that much elaborate planning when it comes to Social Security. There's actually a lot of strategies. But the only other thing I would emphasize there, you mentioned the 8% growth. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks don't realize that every year that you wait to draw Social Security, they give you an 8% bump, 8% increase. And unfortunately, there's no investment under the sun that we could guarantee someone an 8% uh, growth rate, right? If you just wait one more year, you'll have 8% more. Social Security is offering it, so yeah, and, something
2: to consider. And also, we've we've been talking a lot about retirement and saving up for retirement, well, about 40% of this show throughout the year is going to be about retirement planning, but this has huge implications for when you decide to retire. If you want to retire early, that's kind of been part of the American dream, you forego some of these unique opportunities to get more out of the Social Security system because there just are more traps than there are tricks if you're going to retire before your full retirement age. So before you get too emotionally vested and retiring at 62 or 64, uh, maybe consider some of these options and talk to a planner about, well, how could I get the most out of social security?
1: This is a great question here because we've talked about this off the air and how many people out there have not sought the help of a financial planner. And I think that a lot of people go, I'm barely making it paycheck to paycheck now. I certainly don't have any money to invest. I certainly don't have any money to pay. A financial planner. Plus, oh, by the way, how do they get paid anyway? (laughs) Uh, So we got this question from Eric. He's from Niles, Michigan. How do you guys make money? I assume that my current financial advisor just makes a commission on my account, but we've never actually talked about it, and it has always bothered me. Yeah, you know, it bothers a lot of people because
3: many financial products out there the commission or the compensation to the person who helped you set it up or purchase that is hidden from you, so you have no idea. Did they just get some huge windfall by selling me this product, or, or how does it work? Um, you know, in, in our industry, most people fall into one of three camps. They're either commission-based, where they get paid to sell you an investment. It could be an insurance salesperson, a stockbroker, whatever. They're, they're there to help you get connected with the right
2: product and they get paid to do it. And then their job's done, oftentimes, because they're yeah. getting paid a commission, paid up front. So they'll help you get in, and that may be it. Yeah, less incentive for
3: them to stay engaged and to make sure that you know your planning needs are met on an ongoing basis. There's also fee-based, which is uh, kind of a hybrid of using... Uh, Fees that are charged. Maybe you write a a check once a year, like a retainer fee, to have them on your team. Uh, and, And maybe there are some commissionable products available as well. But then there's fee only. And that one is actually probably the most rare in this area. You'd have to go to most big cities to find someone who will only charge you a flat fee, and you've got complete objectivity in theory. You know, there, there's lack of conflicts of interest with that route. But most people, it's staggering how big that fee has to be because of the amount of time and, and work involved. We're big fans of the fee-based approach. We charge a financial planning fee for the work that we do with our clients. They they pay us uh, once a year to be on their team to help them with their planning, regardless of what kind of uh, products uh, make sense. We don't go into it expecting that there will be some sort of product that that uh, it fits for everybody. So uh, the biggest thing is just making sure that your interests align with your advisors. There isn't one model that's better than another. Just find the one that fits for you and that you're comfortable with.
2: Yeah, it, you really should know how your financial advisor gets paid. So they, you're, I'm assuming where you're meeting, there's electricity and there's air conditioning in the mm-hmm. summer, heat in the winter. You should know. So I, I would I would ask them.
1: Yeah, I was kind of, kind of taken aback that they hadn't asked how. Their planners actually getting paid, so it was, yeah, you should definitely know. It's probably yep. gonna help you out in the long run. All right, guys, uh, great show. A lot of questions in today. Didn't get to everything, so that means just we got more for uh, for next week. And so we covered the Fed, we covered uh, interest, and what that impact means for you, and what you should probably be doing with your investments. A lot of questions. Mike made a new friend in Sherry, who already took him to task. It's been, <laughs> you know, two weeks. <laughs> so once again, Corehorn.com. If you're looking for financial planning, uh, that's with a K, Corehorn.com. You can also, if you're a listener of this program, submit a financial planning question by going to wisemoneyradio.com. Until next week, for Josh Gregory, Mike Bernard, I'm Casey Hendrickson. Kevin will be back next week. You've been listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel.
0: Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.